0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join me on lockdown for the second week. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Michael Gietzen, Group Managing Director at Identity, a company who focuses on the design and project management of brand implementation. Michael, Hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the program today. Um, normally, we'd go directly into discussing leadership. However, uh, we must address the COVID-19 situation. How has the coronavirus affected your business?
1: Oh, well, um, yeah, it's a very hot topic at the moment. Uh, as a company that uh, specializes in live events, this has had a major impact um, on our industry at the moment. Um, the, the closure of all large-scale mass participation events um, what some m- month ago now has uh, meant that we have no events to deliver um, in our sector um, the the greatest change is that we've been very busy working on virtual events and how we can try and change the existing event formats um, into virtual ones I uh, it's it's very interesting. I've got a cross section of staff from uh, designers to production managers, but then in particularly warehousing and uh, installation staff. And so naturally, they're the first staff that were furloughed uh, during this process. Um, whereas the uh, the design teams, the creatives, and, and also production managers, are still very busy working with our digital teams. It is a very interesting times. So I think we're just trying to work a way through how we can continue business as usual, um, and how we can turn the majority of our work from face-to-face meetings and events to virtual ones.
0: Now, uh, has it been a significantly uh, challenging transition, more working from home, or has that been a bit smooth?
1: Interestingly, it's been very smooth at the moment. Uh, Our people work away from the office a lot. Uh, They're regularly on-site or at client meetings. In particular, we have uh, a national network of clients and also an international network of clients. And and to avoid a lot of travel and to reduce our carbon footprint, a lot of these meetings are done via video conferencing. So we're pretty well set up and the transition has been relatively smooth. Uh, And in fact, for the first few weeks, quite an enjoyable one as we we work from home, spend some more time with our families. and It's been more about finding a routine. Um, Some of the challenges we have faced have, those employees that haven't traditionally worked off laptops that have had desktop stations or referencing, again, the warehousing staff where working from home is not a a normality for them. But as a whole, uh, for a dynamic and forward-thinking business, this this is kind of regular practice for us.
0: Now, do you believe this is something that you might continue after this pandemic has finished?
1: I definitely think it's going to change the way we work, um, I, I think it's going to be very difficult to remove the, the face-to-face element of what we do and, and the, the way that we collaborate and interact through a creative process of coming up with strategy and thinking about how we can do something different for an event, that, that face-to-face time around the table is, is so precious. But it certainly has made us think twice about how we do something. Speaking to my leadership team the other day, uh, meetings are quicker. Um, so people turn up on time to a video conferencing meeting more so than they did in the office. They, they would typically abuse that privilege and the time. Um, and yeah, a meeting that was kind of set for an hour, we can sometimes get down to twenty minutes, twenty-five minutes. So I think we, we're definitely going to look to to have more virtual meetings. And then, in particular, clients, some of the national clients where we would have felt obliged to go and see the clients so we're uncomfortable using video conferencing software and kit now this has become part of our working practice and so I think we'll see um, a reduction in face-to-face client meetings as of this.
0: Now to move on to the subject of leadership I always like to start this conversation off with a very simple question which is what does the word leader mean to you?
1: What a great question um A leader for me is someone uh, that is a visionary, um, that's someone that can uh, give a direction and a strategy um, for the team. I think a leader is someone that the the team are prepared to follow and go on the journey with and the roadmap that you have. Uh, And A leader is someone that would would lead by example um, and and would be prepared to do anything that the team, team are prepared to do also.
0: How would you describe your personal leadership style?
1: How would I describe it? Um, yes. I, I describe it as one, it's, it's very compassionate, it's very caring, um, but I also uh, have a very clear vision, uh, and I know what I want to achieve both personally and professionally at identity, and therefore I, I, I want to work with individuals and, and nurture them and bring on the rest of my team on that journey. I like to feel that my leadership style is it's clear and concise, um, and if it's not always at the time, then um, I'll, we always use feedback, our identity to ensure that everyone understands where breakdowns of communication have happened and we can take our learnings and develop from these. So uh, I would like to think it's a good one. And I like to think that I, I break down what it is that we want to do um, so that we all get there together.
0: How do you ensure that everyone within your organization gets there together, as you say? Uh, do you have any mentorship pro- pro- programs or is some sort of team building uh, how How do you go about this?
1: So I think definitely on that uh, on a on discussion topic of, of of getting somewhere on a journey, then communication is absolutely key um, and and that's something that we feel we do very well at identity. It starts with our annual conference that we hold every year. So we take all staff off-site for the day. That's the opportunity where we get to explain the company vision to all the staff. We set objectives for the year where they go out into breakout groups and they get to contribute on what objectives we need to achieve for this year. They work with the teams and team leaders to smarten up. And then in the afternoon, um, we have breakout sessions where they have technical training innovation sessions where we encourage supply uh, chain innovators and thought leaders from our industry to come down and talk to the team. So when they do this uh, on an annual basis, we don't have regularly monthly meetings uh, with the senior leadership team. and They cascade down that information to their teams and that obviously can come back up into the senior leadership team. And then really importantly, it's about feedback and training. And uh, So to mention the word again, we, we want to make sure that positive and it can be sometimes negative feedback is, is heard and listened to. And then we provide the, the coaching, the mentoring, and training. And that becomes both technical training and then personal development. Uh, even you know once a week at Identity, we have something called Technical Tuesday, um, where we give every staff up to 45 minutes um, to do their own bit of training, whether that be someone coming into the business, an external coach, or once again, a supplier comes to talk to them about something innovative in our sector.
0: Now let's um, talk a bit about where your leadership came from. Um, It doesn't, of course, come out of thin air. So let's go back to the beginning of your career. Did you have any role models who shaped you as you are today?
1: So I started off my career as a chartered accountant. I got chartered with ACCA. Um, Two things happened during my uh, seven years of being an accountant: was uh, one doing audits and getting to meet many managing directors and. That's where I got my first taste for business. So if you're working with a company that's got to be audited, then you have to have a session with the uh, directors of the business and uh, get their reports. And it was at that time that I spent typically longer learning, listening, and being fascinated by what the really good managing directors had to say. And in that time, you would have audited companies that some were good, some were okay, and some were really bad, and I like to think that I picked up on all of the bad traits and why I wouldn't want a coffee, and all the good ones, which i trying to emanate or improve. And so it was great learning from all these other managing directors. And then the senior partner at my firm that I was working at, Steve Moore, he was also a great inspiration, not only technically and how he could develop businesses, but also just the way that he, he worked with all the staff. There was very much a culture that we would work very hard and play very hard. And then the rest has really come from kind of inspiring thought leaders in our industry where there are many.
0: Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store at Identity?
1: It's such an interesting question in this unprecedented time at the moment. Um, The events industry, it's taken a massive hit, and I'm not convinced that it will return back to normality until 2021. I think also that the learnings that we've got from virtual meetings will change hugely the outlook of the smaller events um, where people are getting together with the ten and twelve meetings. I'm not sure they'll happen anymore uh, as much as they were. And so the next 12 months is very much about focusing on the next six months um, on the business. Identity has grown rapidly um, over the last few years. We, we won the uh, Sunday Times Fast Track 100 Award and it's been continuous growth over the last three years. So the one thing I guess that this pandemic has given the leadership team our identity is the gift of time. So we're going to spend the next six months focusing very much on the business, our strategy, and how we can get to the top of our sector. Um, and then after that, there are major events that have been cancelled this year that will be identity's focus we'll be looking at um, the UN uh, Climate Change Conference, um, and then we'll be looking at the G7 Summit, and then we're going to the Commonwealth Games. There's lots of exciting events on the horizon for us.
0: Well, uh, Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking with you today, and I very much hope you can come back on the program when things have gotten a bit back to normal. Uh, Michael, thank you.
1: Thank you very much. I'd love to do that, and I wish I had a... Mystic ball. I could look in and see what will happen uh, in 12 months' time too. Interesting times.
0: That was Michael Geetson, Group Managing Director at Identity. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Andrew Strauss.
2: Hello and welcome. I'm Jonathan White. And today we are joined by Sir Andrew Strauss, former captain of the England cricket team and former director of cricket at the ECB. Sir Andrew, thank you very much for joining us today. have you finally forgiven Marcus Dreskothic for giving you that stupid Lord Brockett nickname?
3: (laughs) Um, Well, my recollection was that it wasn't Marcus Dreskothic who gave me that nickname. Ah. It was actually Mark Butcher. Uh, He's to blame. I think there were a lot of people. It was the senior England teams at Mm. at that time who wanted to sort of put me in my place and make sure that I didn't get above my station. So um, Uh, thankfully, it didn't particularly (laughs) stick other than within those group of players.
2: And you really did try and get on their nerves by getting above your station because, of course, in your first outing, uh, you went on to score 112. Mm. Now, am I right in saying this, perhaps, that you only got there because Michael Vaughan did himself an injury?
3: Well, that was the reason I got on the pitch in the yes. first place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's often sort of misunderstood or misjudged the role that luck plays in a in an international career or sporting career full stop, and... Um, you know, I was wait, waiting patiently in the wings mm. for an opportunity and it didn't really seem like an opportunity was going to come along. And then you know, I have only got injured in the nets and there was my chance and I had to kind of grab it with both hands if I could.
2: And you certainly did. What was it like then to uh, see your name being put up on the Lord's honour board after your first appearance?
3: Yeah, uh, look, uh, I'd just been transported to a completely different world almost I'd been I was a Middlesex player I was Mm. captain of Middlesex all my focus was on helping Middlesex sort of win the championship and whatever and then a week later I've scored a test century which is something I'd always dreamed out literally all my life and then the thought of doing it at Lords in your first test I mean it was literally the dream so and then suddenly I started thinking wow hold on potentially I've got a whole England career ahead of me and everything that entails so It was a real shock to the system. Um, But I suppose what I was grateful for was that I was relatively old, probably not the right way of putting it, but I was 27 years of age. I was pretty comfortable with my own game. And I was also, I think, mature enough to understand um, that this was a great opportunity for me, but not to get carried away with it, which is unfortunately what happens with a lot of younger players. Without a
2: doubt. And I think... In those early years of your career, it's so important, I think you'd agree, especially when you're learning from other more experienced people, and this can be true of any field, whether it's sports or politics or business, um, to have somebody there that you can rely on or look up to for guidance. In those early days, was there somebody that you could say to this day that, thank goodness they were there for you?
3: Uh, Well, I think in preparing me for international cricket, Justin Langer was a massive... Hmm. um, source of advice for me. So he was captain of Milsets a couple of years beforehand and really helped me understand what I needed to do to get there. Um, But then I think on the day-to-day basis, my wife Ruth played a a huge Mm. role, you know, just in terms of, because I I think there is that real danger that you get carried away with it. And you think international sport in that goldfish bowl that, you know, you're more important than you, you were previously or that that whole world is the real world and uh, and obviously all we know is that the real world nothing's changed other than Mm -hmm. other people's
2: perception of you and you need that grounding and again that can be true of any uh, so many different areas of life
3: i think so yeah I, i mean very easy to get caught up in it and end up doing different things being with different people sort of trying to enjoy everything that goes with international cricket rather than focusing on the actual international cricket it's,
2: And itself. in those early days, Andrew, there were lots of examples where you could have got carried away because that team accomplished so much. Um, I think for a lot of people, the 2005 Ashes series is one of the greatest sporting moments of this country's history. Now, we could chat for hours about that, but I know uh, I wouldn't be allowed to, and, and, and you've got <laughs> other places to be, so <laughs> we can't do that, but... I if I may I would love to ask what your highlight was personally for that but perhaps more importantly um as a team how were you able as a group to deal with the pressure no doubt you were feeling
3: yeah well the the pressure was like nothing else that i experienced before or after because you know i think it's easy to forget how how much of a holy grail the Ashes was Mm. back then. You know, we hadn't won it for so long and it seemed like we'd come up against these invincible Australian teams year after year. So, you know, the closer we got to it, the harder it became. Um, I remember Ashley Giles walking into the dressing room for the, I think it was the final day of the series and I looked at him and he looked absolutely terrible. (laughs) Like just white of a sheet, grey. He looked like aged about five years. I went, God, Giles, you're not looking too good. And he went, yeah, it's not surprising. I haven't slept for eight weeks. <laughs> and I went, well, join the club. You right. know, I think we'd all been sort of living this behind our own closed doors. And um, yeah, it was just an extraordinary thing. And uh, without doubt, the the highlight was, number one, drawing that game at the Oval yes. to make sure we 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 won the Ashes. But also the day after, you know, that open-top bus parade around London and... To understand that we'd broken out of the cricket bubble, that that just general sports fans or just people that were interested in in seeing England win at something were all engaged and uh, completely besotted by the whole thing. I think that's
2: such a key point. There, because there's, there's so there were so many people back in 2005 that may have not even given cricket a second glance, and it put a whole new generation, especially of children, school kids, into loving that sport. And so beyond the actual Competition itself, what a fantastic thing to be able to say was accomplished for cricket. Absolutely. Uh, uh, everything you say
3: there is absolutely right. Like, we, we just sort of opened the doors of cricket to a whole new generation. But probably more importantly, it was the one and only time in my life that I got papped outside a nightclub that <laughs> night when we <laughs> were celebrating. You know, I felt like I'd really arrived Hold as a celebrity. On, yes. <laughs> it only happened for that one night, unfortunately.
2: But uh, I did ask for a highlight, and if you didn't perhaps give a specific one on the pitch, uh, uh, so I would suggest perhaps that catch at Trent Bridge. No, no, <laughs> no. I mean, the, the catch at Trent Bridge was, uh,
3: you know, you see a ball, you stick out your hand and it goes in. I think um, my personal highlight was I scored 100 in that fifth test yes. match under real pressure. And that, that was one that, you know, that, that wasn't a moment. That was a, a number of hours. And I had to dig pretty deep to do that.
2: Now, Obviously, not that long later, uh, and you were lucky enough and privileged, I'm sure, no doubt, to serve as captain. And whether you like it or not, you become the focal point of criticism. Uh, you looked on, up to, and relied upon to be strong, especially when the going gets tough. You become a leader in many senses of the word. Uh, during your time as captain, what qualities does one require to fulfill that role? Ha! Huh. Um...
3: Well, a fair amount of resilience for starters. Mm. You know, you're absolutely right. You, you know, I, I remember when I, I got the role, it, it did feel like th- the biggest sort of poison chalice of all time and the, you know, <laughs> yes. the sort of a litany of England captains had sort of been churned up by the job prior to me taking over. So th- there was that sort of realisation this is going to be a tough thing to do um, and you're going to have to dig pretty deep. But I think actually the most important thing was sort of just pushing all that noise to one side and just clarifying, okay, if I'm going to do this job, what is it that we really want to achieve out of this? Mm. And so you, th- th- suddenly that becomes a bit more exciting and a bit more enticing, the idea of, well, we can do something that's never been done before here and I've got the opportunity to to play my part in that. So, um, you know, I think that, w- that was a big part of it for me. Um, you know, I think a lot of those qualities around leadership I don't think you know you have them until you're in that situation, and it's very hard to prepare yourself properly for those sort of situations.
2: Um, and when managing a team, uh, you're required to manage, of course, what some people could call big personalities; others could use different shorter words. <laughs> How poisonous can it be, players? When players, and indeed, and this applies again to so many different areas of life, when individuals um, think they are perhaps more important than than a team
3: And then the foundation is directly benefited hugely by the, the funds raised. And um, we want to take it up a gear this year and, and make it more of a community thing, not just the, the day at Lord's.
2: Um, I even saw some of the stuffiest members of the MCC, Andrew, wearing, re- uh, wearing red. So it w- w- what an extraordinary yeah, thing. Well, a lot um, of them <laughs> wear red trousers they, anyway, no, I think.
3: But um, <laughs> no, it, absolutely. No, they they were right behind us. And, um, you know, we, we really want that to be something that's embedded in yeah, those are two enormous events out there, and we can have our own version of that ourselves.
2: I can feel your enthusiasm for it. As a as an Essex fan, I I'm still stumped as to. I think I'm going to have to choose between either supporting a team based at the Oval or a team based at Lords. I I'll, I'll get over that, but I'll <laughs> I'll have yeah, to do well it. Well, surely it's going to be the Lords one, right? Uh, tr- tr- of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um Sandra, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing that and everything else with you today. Thank you very much. Cheers.